Let's bow together. Father, again, we come before you and we thank you for for your grace and your mercy and your kindness towards us. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for our sins. And we thank you that in your son Jesus, uh, through your word, by your spirit, we have everything we need. And Father, as we come to your word today, I pray that you would help us see exactly what your will is, that we would obey you by your power and strength so that you would be greatly glorified. Bless your word as it goes out, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Scripture makes it clear that there are none righteous, not even one, that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, man is unrighteous. And uh, we see unrighteousness and its effects everywhere. It affects every relationship. It affects uh, marriage relationship. It affects uh, parent-child. It affects work relationship. Whatever it might be, it affects every relationship. Now, God, in his redemptive discipline and grace, he forewarned Adam and Eve concerning the consequences of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. He said uh, to them, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and pain you shall bring forth child, children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The term desire there speaks of a hungering intent. This hungering intent will be to, to rule over uh, the husband. And then we see that uh, in sin, husbands would dominate their wives. The default state in unrighteousness is not good. Uh, a picture of marriage in the context of uh, unrighteousness is pretty ugly. Now, we as believers, we have been redeemed by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our marriages should not be so. But sadly, we see statistics that say, basically, there's just as many divorces in the Christian community, supposedly, as there are among non-believers. Uh, that shouldn't be so, by the way. God said, uh, what man, what God has joined, let no one separate. Made it very clear. Now today, we're getting into a portion in the book of Colossians in which we're getting to practical instruction based on the word of Christ dwelling richly in us and his peace ruling our hearts. Based on setting our minds on the things above, based on the full uh, salvation we have in Christ and being in him complete. And now he's going to begin to apply it to relationships, to uh, uh, husband-wife, to parent-child, uh, to slave-master, work relationship, and then to how we relate to outsiders. So we're going to get some practical instruction for how we should be and what we should be. So would you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 18 and 19. Now, uh, a couple of things I want to share in advance is if you're single, don't tune out. Uh, because the principles that we will see here today apply to everything. They apply to everything. The principles of relying on Jesus, allowing his word to work in our hearts and his spirit working in us apply to everything. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing the Colossian church. Uh, he is imprisoned in Rome. It's about 62 AD, and he has never visited Colossae, but yet he has heard from Epaphras, uh, who has traveled 1,600 miles of the state of the Colossian church, that they are, that they've trusted in Jesus Christ and that they have love for one another. And yet there are some threats to their faith in Jesus. 
There were those trying to delude them with persuasive arguments. Uh, there were those who were using worldly wisdom rather than the wisdom that comes alone from Christ. They were using wisdom from below religiously to dupe uh, these believers into trusting in the shadows or trusting any experience or 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 rules uh, to keep themselves from sinning, to keep themselves from fleshly indulgence. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in the context of this book that the solution is Jesus Christ, that uh, Christ is the solution, that he is the Lord of the first creation. Through him all things were created, and he is also the Lord of the new creation, and he is the one who is in us. He is the one whom we proclaim, Paul would share, in light of the bad guys he would talk about in chapter 2, we proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man that we present every man completing Christ. And as I mentioned, he goes to explain those things about the bad guys in chapter 2, but he also points out our complete salvation and that in Christ we are complete. We have everything we need in Christ. And therefore, in chapter 3, we should set our mind on the things above, not the things of earth. We should be focusing on the things of the exalted Christ, the things about where Christ is. Because in position, we have died and our lives are hidden with Christ. And we have been raised with him in newness of life. And we, when he arrived, when he comes back, we will be revealed with him in glory. And so we looked at that, how we're to have our mindset, a different mindset as believers. We're not to be seeing things through the lens of our own understanding or the world's understanding, but through what God reveals in his word. And then we saw concerning sin, what we were to do. We were to kill off, not let live, sexual sin. We were to kill it off in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been raised with Christ. We're new in him. Uh, if we, Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? May it never be. How shall you who have died to sin still live in it? But yet we have these bodies of flesh. We are still tempted to sin. And within that, we are not to let those sins live. And then concerning other sins like anger, wrath, malice, abusive speech, we are to put that off like a, like a dirty garment. We're to make a decision to, to not go there. And if we have, we confess that. We make a decision to throw it off like a dirty garment and to put on Christ, to put on His character, to allow His Word to, to so fill our hearts, uh, to the brim that His will is, is drawing and leading us into how we should interact and act. And then within that, we saw the heart attitudes that we should have in the context of having our minds renewed, in the context of putting off sin and putting on Christ. We saw the heart attitudes. First of all, we were to have his peace ruling our hearts. It is to be the umpire. It is to reveal where we're at. And we know that when things are, ah, you know, we know, wait a second, am I trusting Christ? Am I relying on him? Is his peace, not the world's peace, not the fake peace, but his peace is to umpire or rule our hearts in everything we do. And then we saw we are to have his word dwelling richly. His word filling our hearts, directing, leading, guiding. We saw it was parallel, and we'll see this today, to, to, to having the spirit uh, control us. We see in the results of that our, a heart that sings unto the Lord and shares his word and is thankful. Is thankful. So we're to have hard attitudes that put on Christ, his peace ruling, his word dwelling richly, and then controlling all we do and say. Everything to his glory. And so with that in mind, the Apostle Paul now then moves to the relationships uh, that we have in this world. And first and foremost, he starts with the marriage relationship. 
And so again, turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. Now, I need to warn you, if you take these things out of context, you take them in and just try to apply them in your own strength, you will fail, you'll get bitter, you'll mess up, you'll destroy relationships. Everything that we're going to see today is based on letting his word dwell richly in us, having a right relationship with Christ and letting him direct us and guide us and lead us. And so it's impossible. You're going to see these commands for husbands and wives. They're impossible to do apart from abiding in Jesus Christ. Now, pharisaical, prideful people can say, yeah, I'll do that. I can do it all. I've done it all. But their hearts are not right. We need to, from the heart, recognize our inability and thus his ability. One of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, not that we are adequate to consider anything that's coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. And he has made us adequate as new servants of a new covenant. He's made us adequate. We are able in him to do what he calls us to do, but not within our own power and strength. Okay, so let's take a look. And I want to back up, since I've shared it's all connected, I want to back up and start reading back in verse 1, and we'll read into our passage. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Amen. That's wonderful. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come, and in them You also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity." Now, if we're doing those things in a marriage relationship, that's going to be pretty good, right? It still applies there. The things we'll see today are not uh, separated from these things here, okay? And then that's what he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or, de- word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And then our passage. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. So today we're going to look at the wives' responsibility first and then we'll look at the husbands' responsibility. And we have here... Uh, very clearly what we are to be in the context of our relationship with Christ. 
what we are to do, some very clear commands. Now, I want to be, I want to give an exhortation here that as I share these things concerning wives and husbands, don't be sitting there pointing your finger at your wife while we're going through that. And as a shared husband, don't be pointing your finger at your husband. You should be looking at it to how does it apply to me? This is about us. This portion is about us, how it applies to us. If you're focused on the shortcomings of those with in your relationship, you're not going to hear God's word. The reality is we all fall short of the glory of God, but I, I hope we all desire to, to obey him and to walk rightly and to confess when we don't, right? So if you find yourself thinking about your, your spouse rather than yourself, turn it back to yourself and allow God's word to work on you and allow God to work on them, okay? All right. So here we have the first command. First of all, wise, verse 18, be subject to your own, to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now this is a hot button in some churches. I don't know why. With some churches, this is a hot button. When one talks of the concept of biblical submission, often anger and even division arises. In fact, in the so-called evangelical church, it's greatly divided over the issue. And I don't know why it's very clear what we're going to see today. Well, I do know why, because there are bad guys who have crept in unnoticed who are twisting the word of God, but you see that, but it shouldn't be that way. We should take the word as it is at face value, and I believe we'll do so today. So here, what does our passage say? Wives, be subject to your husbands. Now, obviously we're speaking, obviously we're speaking about marriage here. And we need to remember that God is the one who ordained marriage and brought it forth. We didn't figure that out. God is the one who did so. Marriage was not man's idea, it was God's idea. With that in mind, remember, uh, let's take a look at some passages concerning what God has to say about marriage. Turn back to Genesis chapter 2, and let's look a little bit here, we're not going to look at all of it, but Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, I will make him a helper suitable for him. One corresponding. He says it's not good for man to be alone. We know Adam was created first, then Eve was taken out of Adam, right? Created, God fashioned a woman, right? We know that. And so the Lord God say, hey, it's not, uh, it's not good. It's not good. And then notice verse 22, And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, now, this is now, or at last, really translate at last, Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. God is the one who ordained marriage and God is the one in ordaining it uh, brought forth some reasons as we see why. One is companionship. It's not good for the man to be alone. There needed to be a helper suitable or compatible in that sense. We also know that from Matthew 19 that marriage, and certainly marriage, biblical marriage, and all these other passages, is between a man and a woman. One man and one woman. That's pretty obvious. But wow, our society is so corrupt in its wickedness that we'd even have to say that. We also see very clearly from scriptures that marriage brings about a new family. A leaving of one's parents and cleaving to one's wife, the two becoming one flesh, Genesis 2, Matthew 19, Ephesians 5. And it is God who joins the two together in marriage. What God has joined, let no man separate. 
And I remember when Hillary and I were getting married, our pastor, he's, everything's ready and about ready to, to run down the aisle. And he said, stop, wait, stop. He said, Hillary, don't mess with this marriage. Greg, don't mess with this marriage. And he turned to the crowd, don't mess with this marriage. What God has joined, let no man separate. The reality is that's the truth. God is the one who has joined, so let no man separate it. And we see that marriage is also blessed in Genesis for procreation, be fruitful and multiply. And in this there is God-ordained joy. Proverbs 5.18, let your fountain be blessed, rejoice in the wife of your youth, as a loving hind, a graceful doe. Now before you run out and get married right away, remember the New Testament reveals that marriage is not for everyone. Matthew 19.12, 1 Corinthians 7.25 it's if God wills it to be so, it's good. It's, 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 if it's his will to you to be single, that's good. Now, everyone is single until they get married. So that's good until you get married, if that's his will, right? And God has ordained some to be single for a special time, 1 Corinthians 7. The apostle Paul uh, was able to serve the Lord undistracted because he wasn't married. We see that. He had the right to take a wife. We see that in 1 Corinthians 9. But 1 Corinthians 7, let's turn there for a second, 1 Corinthians 7. Before you run out and get married and think it's so great, well, it is wonderful if God's ordained it. But you've got to make sure it's God, the one leading you into it. It's God who brings a wife. He who finds a wife finds a good thing, right? It's God that does that. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. Now I'm going to read all this read a little bit later. He says, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am, I myself am. However, and he was that single, by the way. He says, however, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Hey, it's a gift whichever way it is, if God is leading it, okay? It may be a temporary gift, it may be a longer gift than that. He says, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, that it is good for them to remain, to, to, for them if they remain as even as I. But if they don't have self-control, do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better for them to marry than burn. Now look down at verse 32. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The reality is, if God has ordained that you're single, you have a special gift to serve him unhindered until he brings a spouse or if he doesn't. That's the reality. So we should not be discontent wherever we are at. We need to be content. Paul says, I've learned the secret to contentment, whether it's a lot or a little, he's talking about money in that context, and he says, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we need to be content. If you're not content, then the husband you get or the wife you get might not be the right one. If you're content in your singleness and trusting him and he brings that right one, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then you can be content in your marriage, right? Now, by the way, marriage is, is primarily God's ordained plan for most people. That's what we see. But there are those he's ordained to be single. And so, as I mentioned before, although this is about marriage today, the principles we will see apply to the Christian walk. The Christian walk. I mentioned earlier, the Old Testament says he who finds a wife uh, finds a, a good thing. Finds a good thing. Obtains favor from the Lord. 
uh, Proverbs 18.22, we share the men. Hey, you know, if you feel led, you've got to find a wife. I'm not saying make that your focus, but you're not going to find a wife. You're not around the wives you can find, right? <laughs> you want to be around those who love the Lord, who are walking with the Lord, who are trusting him, obeying him. Their focus is Jesus. Don't be around those in, in these youth groups we see today that's all about dating and, and relationships and all this stuff. Stay away from that junk. You focus on Jesus Christ and God just might put someone nearby you that's focusing on him too. You trust him. You focus on him. Now we'll see this in a little bit. That marriage also is a picture of Christ's love for the church. It's a picture of Christ's love for the church. So with this foundational understanding, recognizing God is the one who has ordained marriage and he is the one who joins two together, let's get back to our passage and look at some basic commands. He says, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Well, that's a simple statement. The term be subject to hupotasso in Greek, hupo means under, tasso means to arrange or order. It means to order under, to line up under someone's authority in a sense. It was used as a military term of soldiers lining up under their commanding officer, thus soldiers submitting to their superior officers. It's the idea of lining up under the authority of someone else that is ordained. Now, this word does not address personhood at all. It addresses position. It addresses position. Biblical submission is an ordering under, a lining up under. It is subjection to God's authority that he has ordered for different relationships. Submission is not a new concept introduced by chauvinistic men to keep their women down. It's clearly a spirit-inspired command. And we see that God has ordained submission in many other relationships. For instance, we are all to submit to government, Romans 13, verse 1, let every person be in subjection, hupotasso, to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God, therefore he who resists the authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they have, who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether as to the king, that was Nero at that time, as one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. This is 1 Peter 2.14. To the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Servants are to be submissive to their masters. Titus 2.9. Urge bond slaves to hupotasso their own masters, to be subject to their own masters in everything. Now, something that's similar right now is the work relationship. Your boss says, do that, you do it. You be subject to him in everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. First Peter, that's Titus 2.9. 1 Peter 2.8, servants be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle. I hear it so often, I'm such a jerk boss or whatever it might be, and, and then the attitude is like, I don't really need to submit in that kind of Well, that's wrong. We're to submit to those in authority over us. He says, but also to those who are unreasonable, for this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. 
it's clear that men are, young men are to submit to their elders. First Peter 5, 5. Younger men likewise be subject to your elders. In Ephesians 5, 24, the church is hupotasso to Christ. So also wives to their own husbands and everything. We know that when we are worldly, when we are worldly, we are often not submitting to God. We know that when we got conflict, we know it's because of our own desires. And we know in that context um, that uh, we are to uh, allow God's grace to lead us. He gives a greater grace. We're to submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from us. James chapter 4. And so uh, we see submission is, is all throughout. There are ordered relationships throughout Scripture. So back in ours, it says, wives, you are to order under your husbands. Now, and we'll talk about that. There's some qualifications from other passages so we understand this rightly, so it's not misinterpreted and, and misconstrued. It's God's sovereign command. The word is, the verb is in a present imperative command. It's not suggesting it. If you're a believer, God's not suggesting this. It's not your choice to submit to your own husband, because if you don't, you're outright disobeying God. It says, keep on submitting. Keep on submitting. And I think women want to do the right thing in Christ. They don't, they don't, they don't struggle. If you're in Jesus and you're following Him, you're not struggling with this command. You're struggling with actually the application of it. You recognize it's true, you believe it, but yet there are times where it's hard to do so. It really says, keep on submitting. Keep on submitting. You're to voluntarily, in the context of submitting to the Lord, submit to your husband. You're to order yourself under in that context. And again, we'll talk about that. And this is not an isolated scripture. There are many other scriptures that reveal the same thing, the same thing. Look at Ephesians 5.22, and you can hold your finger there after we leave it again because we'll come back to it. Ephesians 5.22 Ephesians 5.22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, you'll see that's in italics. It's pulling the verb grammatically from the verse before, and that applies absolutely right. That's what's intended in the original language. For the husband is the head of the wife, and also Christ, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. And turn to 1 Peter 3, and we'll keep your finger there too. 1 Peter 3. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they might be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. There's one other passage you want to look at. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage or, or, or place into the mind, help them think rightly, the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, and within all of that, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It's the the Lord. Now, this passage is in a either a passive or middle voice. It's the same form. What does that mean? You're not the you're not actively submitting. You're yielding in submission. 
You're choosing to yield. You're not saying, I'm going to submit. I'm going to force myself to submit. No, you're yielding your heart up to submit to that. It's, 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 it's a reflexive or passive. So with that in mind, you are to yield to the authority of your husband uh, in the context of yielding to the authority of Christ. Now, does submission make you anything less? Does that make you a doormat? Does that make you something that's less than your husband? Does that make you less than that? You wives, you are equal to your husbands. God has given you God-ordained differing roles. Peter makes it clear that in 1 Peter 3, 7, that wives are fellow heirs of the grace of life. You better treat your wife rightly. You better treat her as a daughter of the king. You better treat her as a fellow heir. You better not take this verse and twist it in your, in your sinfulness and, and, and lord over your, your wife. That's not what this is saying. If you do, it hinders your prayers. That's your whole relationship with the Lord. Does submission make you anything less? Well, if it does, then you've got a problem because Jesus submitted to the Father. 1 Corinthians 11.3, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of every woman, and God is the head of Christ. In his role in coming here to die for our sins, in the roles that the Trinity, one God, three persons, have decided within that, within in the Godhead, Christ was submissive to the Father. We see that. God is the head of Christ. So there's nothing demeaning in ordered relationships. There's nothing demeaning at all. If you say that, then you're demeaning Christ. If you think that. Women are thus commanded in the context of spiritual equality, and that you see the equality in the context of there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, in the context of salvation. Now, it doesn't take away your Jewness or your maleness or your femaleness. It means in salvation, you're equal in that context. So then women are voluntarily commanded to, they're commanded to submit, to yield, to yield to their own husband's authority. One, uh, Pastor writes, so what's the meaning of hupotasso? Does it mean your wife is a slave to obey your every command? Does it mean you treat her like a child? No. If there's a man who thinks for a second they have superiority in God's eyes over their wife, they are gravely mistaken from God's word. However, wives, choose to put yourself underneath the headship of your husband in order that the design that God has brought forth in his word would bring be brought forth. It takes away nothing from the dignity of a woman to submit, rather it enhances her as she obeys the Lord. I agree with that. So scripture, now something else to recognize, scripture does not command wives anywhere to obey their husbands. It doesn't command that. It commands voluntary, not voluntary, take away the, not voluntary, it's a command, submit, submit to your husbands. Now, within that, we see that, uh, that we are to obey Christ. We're to obey Christ. You're not to obey like commands from husband, but you're to submit to their authority in that context, right? And you'll see that, right? Now, I want to add one caveat. Um, sad, well, sadly, many husbands will wrongly demand uh, rather than graciously, lovingly exhorting and admonishing their wives to do what's right in the Lord, to submit in that context. One caveat here, biblical submission doesn't mean that you disobey God if your husband wants you to sin. That's not biblical submission at all. You must obey God. 
Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when Peter and the apostles were told to stop teaching in the name of Jesus, the answer was we must obey God rather than man. We stopped speaking of Jesus, just sorry, we got to obey God rather than man. Book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down and worship the image of gold of Nebuchadnezzar um, that he had made, and they would not do so. They would not do so. Now to raise a caveat within a caveat here, in the book of Daniel, when Daniel was told, chapter 1, to eat the king's choice food, he determined not to defile himself. And obviously the food that was given to him was not allowed within Levitical law, okay? Yet God's favor was upon him in that decision. You can read that passage. Yet Daniel didn't say to the, to the, his superiors, no way, I'm eating that food. He didn't demand anything. He was wise about these sub-issues, not on the level of being not told to speak of Jesus or not to order worship idols. It wasn't on that level as a sub-issues. And what does he do? He wisely negotiates with those appointed over him not to eat those food. And I would encourage wives to wisely negotiate with your husbands in areas in which it may not be sin or it may be sin that's, that's on the line, whatever it might be. There should be an interaction within husbands and wives. It should be a loving interaction, right? should be... Within it, any husband that doesn't listen to his wife uh, when she's saying what God wants her to say is a foolish. Now, you don't listen to your voice to your wife when they're sinning. Adam did the wrong thing there, right? You know, because you listen to her. But when they are following the Lord and speaking in the context of a relationship with him, you need to listen to what they're saying. So what's my point? Yes, we obey God rather than man, but when husbands ask you to sin, you don't do it. If you are married to a non-believer and he's saying, you cannot go to church, you say, honey, I, I love you, and let's work out some way where I can be back here, but I'm going to go to church. And I love you, you're my priority, but my first priority is the Lord, and I'm going to do what's right with him, with the Lord, but how can I work this out? What times are best for you? How can we work this out? Will this be best for you? There's not a demanding or, or evil in that context. And try to negotiate. Don't be confrontational. You know, abandon the coil before it breaks out, Right? Where to, you know, a, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up strife. You know, if you come to someone harshly, no, I'm not going to do that because God says this, you know, those are harsh words. Stirs up strife. But you need to do the right thing. Sadly, I've seen time after time those who would have non-believing husbands who they submit to them in areas where they are not to. They should be in the body of Christ. They should be worshiping. They should be focused on Christ, obeying that. And they need to be gracious how they go about that, but that's where you wouldn't submit. When you're told not to worship Jesus, when you're told not to speak of him, it's time to graciously do what is what is right in the context of that relationship. Okay, back to our passage. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. And notice the reason. The first reason is that it's a command, right? God commands it, first reason. Second reason, he says, as is fitting in the Lord. The term fitting means proper or right, as is proper. When you become a new creation, all the basis of all your relationships changed. You are now in the Lord, and you are now to be ordered under his ordained orders for every relationship. It is as he sees fit for your benefit and blessing. God is a God of order, and it is the right thing to do. It is proper and fitting in the Lord to walk in the order that he has ordained. It says, as is fitting. This is the right thing. This is the right thing. And indeed, a lack of submission to his ordained order fits a fallen and corrupt world. 
but for believers as is fitting to submit, to order yourself under your husband's authority in the Lord. And we'll talk about some things and some things later on. We say, what about if he does this? What if he does that? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Because when you obey God, all of heaven is on your side. The eyes of the Lord look to and fro that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You remember he is on your side when you do what is right. When you do what is right. Now scripture provides some other biblical reasons. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and I've talked about this. But the marriage relationship is a picture of Christ's love for the church. Right? Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Again, it's submitting to the Lord, really, in that context. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives are to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, uh, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands all ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. But we are all members of one body, because we are all members of one body. <coughs> Excuse me. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. And so we see this picture, this picture, and it's also um, a picture to those who don't believe. But she doesn't believe. First Peter chapter 3, we're going to see that the gentle beauty of quiet submission is, is, is a witness to an unbelieving spouse. First Peter chapter 3, in the same way as Christ relied on the Father. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously as he obeyed the Father and did not revile in return, uttered no threats, but offered himself up in the context of God's will for us the same way as Christ, wives, First Peter 3, be submissive, that's the same word, to your own husbands, not someone else's husband, your own husband, so that even if, now this isn't even if, this is not the only purpose, but it's a purpose Peter puts in here. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, that would speak of a non-believer, that they may be one with what? Without a word. Without a word. By the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, and let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Now, that only happens when you're trusting the Lord, by the way. When it's not there, then you're not trusting. You've got to get back and focus on him and trust him. He says, for in this way in former times, holy women also, who hoped in God. And by the way, it's going to talk about Sarah. Sarah kind of blew it here and there. So did Abraham, right? But they grew in the Lord. And they're examples. And they're examples. It says here, 
uh, holy women who hoped in God, also hoped in God, so adorned themselves. They used to put on adornment in being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, spiritual children in that sense, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So here, submission is a beautiful adornment. It's a beautiful adornment. It's beautiful. It's God-ordained when you hope in the Lord. You can't submit unless you're hoping in God, by the way. If you're hoping in your husband to change, you're going to tell you you got problems. Hope in the Lord and let the Lord do his work and do and obey him, okay? One last passage, Titus chapter 3. Let's turn there. Titus chapter 3. We see another reason why you should be obeying this command. First of all, obviously it's a command, but these are reasons. One, it's a reflection to the world. Second, it's a reflection in that people might be saved in seeing that, right? And then third, here we see it's uh, very important. Uh, Titus 2, 3. Older women likewise to be reverent in their, in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind. Notice what he says here, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. The word is blaspheme, spoken against. You claim to follow Jesus and people look at you, how you don't, how you relate to your husband or whatever it might be, and they say, what kind of God is that? What can they blaspheme the word of God? They blaspheme that, right? That the word of God may not be dishonored. Dishonored. You see, another reason to be doing what's right as a believer, whether it's submission to your husband, whether it's husbands loving your wives, whatever it is, is that the word of God may not be dishonored. Blasphemed. Blasphemed. It's serious. People speak against God and his word because of your actions, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. Do you remember what Paul spoke of concerning widows who were not obedient? First Timothy 5.14, Therefore I want younger women to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. That's in the context of just going around being gossips. Okay? Not good. You don't want the word of God to be blasphemed. And if it has... Confess your sin. We all fail. We all sin, right? If you say you have no sin, we're lying, right? Doesn't mean we're justifying sin. We want to be sin. We, we want to be more like Christ. But, uh, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, some of you women are saying, okay, God's commanded it. I know this all too well, but it's so hard and I fail so much. How do I do it? How do I do this? Well, as we're going to see, we need to recognize that submitting to your husband is the same thing as submitting to the Lord. You're submitting to his command in that context of those ordered relationships. Our flesh cries for our own rights, seeking to be sovereign, but yet we need to release our sovereignty to the Lord. We need to allow his word to dwell richly in us. We need to let his peace rule our hearts and minds. We need to set our mind on the things above we need to allow his word to control our thoughts and actions. That's how you do it, by the spirit of God. And indeed, we saw Ephesians 5 was parallel to Colossians chapter 3. The word dwelling richly is parallel to having uh, being controlled or filled with the spirit. 
God's Spirit, by His Word, controls us or fills us. You want to have that filling your heart and mind rather than your attitudes towards people or whatever someone has done to you. If anyone has been claiming against anyone, forgive them, right? We saw that. You're angry. you got to let that go. The Word of God saying, hey, I don't want to hold on to that. i got to sit in a place. I'm, God's Word is working in my heart, changing my attitude. Lord, I, I, this is, I'm going to him. I'm anxious about it, so I pray. Lord God, my husband or my wife wants to do this or, or that. What do I do, Lord God? I, I come to you and ask you for help. I thank you that you'll help me. You know, God's word is working through, and you're renewing your mind. You know, we're not to be conformed to this world, but transformed through the renewing of our minds, that we may prove what God's will is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so we need to read and listen, learn, meditate, be in the Word of God. We need to submit to the God of the Word. We need to allow His Word. If things happen, we've got to go to the Word of God. We've got to be controlled. That's how you submit. You see, when you're walking with Jesus, it's easy to submit when you're walking with Jesus, when you're trusting in Him alone. It's impossible on your own. It's imp- it goes against everything in your flesh and the world. You've got to be walking with the Lord and trusting Him. There's no other way uh, to, to do so unless Christ is living through you. It's got to be Christ in you. You've got to be submitting to Him. And you know what? We see in 1 John 5 that His commandments are not burdensome. When I find them as burdensome, something else has gotten in the way. My thinking's not right. Something's going on. I've got to, got to renew my mind. It's not burdensome. It's not burdensome. So keep entrusting. And even if things are, are messed up, keep entrusting. And one last exhortation. I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks to, to obeying this command, besides uh, wanting to rule over, and that's one thing, right? Just what we saw about the default problem with men and women in marriage is they want to rule over each other. But one of the biggest issues is fear. It's fear. If I submit, he's going to walk all over me. If I submit, we're going to go down the wrong path, and it's going to everything's going to be destroyed. Whatever it is, and there's this what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. But we need to remember that God is bigger than that. And when you trust him, he's on your side. We see in 1 Peter again that uh, that uh, uh, we are to do so, uh, women are to do so, it says, Thus Sarah called Abraham her, her Lord. Uh, you become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Oh, man. And that applies to all sorts of different things, right? You know, if we're fearing stuff, we're messed up. The fear of man brings a snare. And that, if you fear of your husband, that brings a snare. Fear of your wife, that brings a snare. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord, right? You know, we know from Isaiah, do not fear for I am with you, Isaiah 41.10. Do not anxiously look about for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I'll help you. Surely I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Lord God, help my husband to make the right decision. Help me to support him in trusting you and obeying you. And if he's not a believer, help me to do what's right. Protect us in the circumstances, Lord God. Help me to know what to do. Lord God, you need to do this, and I'm trusting you. These be these prayers. Prayer, Lord, help him to see this and help her to see this, whatever it might be. It's a real relationship where God intervenes. And he changes things because you're following him and obeying him. And if it doesn't go right, he uses it for good. He uses even the things that go wrong when you do what's right for good. Guess what's happened? That's how we got saved, right? He obeyed and, and, uh, 
and that brought him to the point of death, right? Death on a cross, all for us, right? Praise the Lord. Okay, wives, continually, habitually place yourself under your husband's authority. Um, if not, if you're not doing that, I'll tell you right now, if you are not doing this, you've got a problem in your household. you got a problem. Your marriage is messed up, okay, and your house has problems if this is not happening. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Okay, Proverbs 14.1. Now, in your flesh, you may have many Christian counselors, family-focused shows, and marriage seminars, pep talks, with many practical answers. But the reality is, you need to obey the Lord and trust in Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him. He's faithful. He will never ever let you down. When you trust him and you obey him, you will be praising him because he will not let you down. No matter what happens, no matter who's doing what, you are protected under his sovereignty. He is watching over you. He is a shield to those who walk in terror. He is your shield. Uh, the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. Wives do that. And husbands too, right? Trust the Lord. Trust him. Trust him. Okay, so here we see wives to be subject as is fitting to the Lord. Uh, if you haven't been and you failed, you know, we all fail. We all fail. And things I'm going to talk about husbands in a minute. I've failed. We've all failed. Confess. Start fresh. Trust the Lord Jesus. Trust him. This is his command. This is his order for relationships, right? This is order, okay? Well, uh, guys probably felt pretty good so far, right? Well... Now it's time to see what the Lord has to say in our passage for men. There's a lot more than that, but we'll talk, we'll look at what he says in our passage. Verse 19, back to our passage. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered towards them. Two commands. Continually, habitually, actively love your wives. And what kind of love is this? This is God's love, not man's love. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 15, 12, John, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now again, these commands are not dependent on how your spouse acts. This is just to me now. And those other ones too were to the wives, you see? Doesn't matter what's happening. You just obey the Lord in the sphere He's commanded you and you trust Him, okay? And so now it says, continually love your wives. And my point is, if your husband's not loving, then you say, well, I'm not gonna submit because he doesn't love me, you know? Or, I'm not gonna love her because she doesn't submit. No, sorry, that doesn't work. We just obey His commands individually for each other. For men and for women, and husbands and wives. You see, we need to put on Christ. It is only when we're abiding in him that we are able to love, that we will see others as more important than ourselves, that we will see them in the context of love. You know, First John chapter 5 says, talks about, it's not, you know, if you want to know what love is, how do, we love, how do we know we love the children of God? That we obey God and keep his commands. If you love, you're going to love by obeying him in relationship to your wife. That's part of it. First John 4, you can turn there, First John 4. This has to only happen, it happens supernaturally when the husbands abide in Jesus and trust in him. Same thing. You can't love your wife unless you are abiding in Jesus and trusting in him. 
Beloved, let us love one another, First John 4, 7, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And we see this. By this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also ought to love one another. And he goes on down in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Husbands, by the power of the Spirit and the, indwell- and the indwelling word, love your wives. Give up your life for her. Give up your will for her, for the Lord's will, and thus for her. Lead her as the Lord would have you lead her. And turn to Ephesians 5 again, because we have a great explanation of the love that husbands are to have for their wives. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. How so? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. He obeyed the Father's commands for the church. He loved us. God so loved the world, right? He gave his only begotten Son. Christ loves us. We would know the love of Christ, which surpasses comprehension. He gave himself for us. He bore our sins. Why did he do this? Very important in this idea of loving your wife, by the way, and how it's flushed out. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself to the church and present himself to the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So how do we love? We love here, and I believe we love with the goal of sanctification, just like Christ in the church. There's a parallelism between the husband and the wife and the church and Christ. We are to give up ourselves with the goal of the beautiful sanctification in Christ for our life, for our wives. We're to give up for that. And how is this flushed out? Talks about uh, verse 28. So husbands also love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself for no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as God does the church because we're members of his body. As you nourish and cherish your own body, men, do the same for her. You're one flesh. You're seeing her as part of yourself. You're one flesh in the Lord. And then we are to wash with the word, spiritually, rhema, that's the spoken word. Don't tear her down with your words. It's so easy to do so. And we fail so often. Don't do that. Allow the Lord to lead you with your words. She's part of you. When you tear her down, you're tearing down yourself, basically, right? Don't do that. Nourish and cherish. That means to feed. Feed her with the gracious words of life. Cherish, impart warmth. Let Christ love her through you. And how do you do this? You have to die to yourself, husbands. You have to give up yourself. And unto the goal of beautiful sanctification in Christ. Unto the goal of her being presented holy and blameless, no spot and wrinkle. God has brought you along to encourage her in her walk with Christ and vice versa. You see that? It's Christ in us that enables us to love our wives and we're commanded to do so. And when we fail, we need to confess right away. When those unloving words come out, we need to be convicted. We need to confess. When our attitudes are wrong, we need to confess. 
Uh, when we're not building up, we need to confess. We're men, we get things done, we're rushing around, you know, but we can be very unloving in those times, right? Uh, we need to confess. Husbands, love your wives. We need to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us. I can't love my wife without abiding in Jesus and trusting in him to respond rightly. I, you can't do it either. You can't do it. But when you walk with Jesus, he'll enable you to love. Now, back in first in Titus chapter 2, it talked about wives to love their husbands, right? goes both ways too, right? Love your husbands. Love your children. Be workers at home. Kind. Be subject. So men are to be loving their wives, sanctifying them by tenderly feeding with their words, imparting tender care. And this should be very convicting, and it is. We fail, and we need to confess. We need to confess. Then notice the last command for men back in our passage. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. It's in the passive voice, which means don't allow yourself to become embittered. Doesn't mean, you know, you're not, I'm gonna, I'm better, you know, it's, it's passive. Don't allow that to take you over in a sense. Don't allow bitterness to creep in towards your wife. Do not be embittered against them. When you are, you're placing yourself against your wife. You are against them. Don't let it creep in. You know, there are lots of things that might tempt you to be frustrated with your wives. And the same thing with women, but here, God seems to think men need to deal with this. Okay? You know what? If you haven't realized it lately, women are different. They think differently. They act differently. We don't understand, but it's different. And praise the Lord for that. They are not us. And we can get embittered when they don't act like us. When they do things that are contrary to what we think should be, whatever it might be, or even maybe if they're sinning, who knows? Whatever reason, it says do not be embittered towards them for whatever reason. There's no qualification. There's no qualification. Remember, she's a daughter of the king. If you're getting embittered to her, you're getting embittered towards one of God's children that He died for. You better rethink it. You better go back to the Word and allow it to renew your mind when you start acting that way. And this verse should come right in. If things are happening, it's causing you to get that little feeling rising up, ah, don't do it. Stop it right away. Stop it right away. First Peter 3, 7, You husbands likewise, just like women likewise, are supposed to depend on the Lord, just like the Lord depended on the Father, right? You husbands like live with your wives in an understanding way. The word means according to knowledge, biblical wisdom. That's what it would be according to. As with a weaker vessel since she is a woman. She's different. God made her different. Live according to biblical wisdom with your wife. Don't expect her to be you. She is not you. She is a daughter of the king. She is a woman, right? And so we need to remember this. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. If your prayers are hindered, your whole relationship with God is hindered. Right? Sin gets in the way. Don't let it happen. Live according to biblical wisdom. Love her. Right? Uh, do what God says. Don't be embittered. That's biblical wisdom, right? Live according to wisdom. See her rightly and not wrongly. Right? Don't be embittered. I mentioned this before, but there's so many proverbs that help us in our interactions. Um, so many. 
A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but mouth the fool spot, spit folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. We need Jesus to help us with our words, men. We need you to help us in how we interact with our wives. We can be very short and very, very unloving at times, and we fail. And we need to help to have the Lord help us when things don't go the way we think. We get start to get tempted to be embittered. Don't do it. Do not do it. So this is what should be flowing through our minds. And what it is, guess what? The peace of Christ is going to rule your heart. Guess what? The peace of Christ is. And when the word of God is, is dwelling richly. You see? How can we do all this? Again, I mentioned it already. But the secret to the Christian life is Christ in you. And by his spirit using his word to illumine his will, that we might be filled with that knowledge of his will, that we might walk according to it. These verses need to come up in our hearts and minds in our interactions with our spouses, right? They need to come up in our hearts and they need to flow right up to the top. We need to be filled with this as we're tempted to be whatever it might be. We need to keep our mind on the things above and allow his spirit to fill us in a sense with the word and control us, letting the word dwell richly. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and its lusts, right? Set your mind on the things above. Oh, if we did this all the time. We pray we do. We pray to it more and more and more, right? And confess when you fail, right? Okay, well, we've seen basic commands for marriage, right? And they apply to everybody, whether you're married or not. They really do. They really do. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now there's some of you who are not saved and it's evident by the relationships you've had with spouses or whatever, if you've had multiple spouses, whatever it might be, it's evident by the way you're with your, your spouse right now if you're married. You want to control them and they want to control you. But God brings forth redemption. Uh, he brought forth that through Jesus Christ. You can be saved from your sins and he will change you. And you'll be different. For those of us who believe, how are we doing? If we're married, how are we doing? Don't fall back into sinful patterns. Let God's word convict you of that. Let God's word help you see what we are to do. That we would do that with one another. And again, let's not focus on other people and their failures. Let's focus on ourselves. Let's focus on ourselves that we would be like Jesus in the relationships we're in. The eyes of the Lord look to and fro that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we do recognize in these close relationships how often we fail. Forgive us, Lord God, and help us to see ourselves rightly. Help us to do what you've said. Wives, be subject to your husbands and is this fitting, Lord, and, and men that we would love our wives, and not be embedded towards them. And Lord, that all of us may apply these truths as we allow Christ to abide in our abide in us, that his word would dwell in us richly, that our minds would be renewed day in and day out, that we would think differently and thus act differently. So Lord, thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.